On today's episode, I had the honor of talking to Cynthia Britt, an assistant principal in school psychologies in a high school setting, about children's struggles in the educational system. Through her education and years of experience working with children in all educational backgrounds, Cynthia has allowed students and parents to excel in both the educational setting and build a better and more sustainable relationship with one another. If you would like to follow me for more information, you can do so by following me on Instagram at Best Behavioral Therapy. Once again, that is Best underscore Behavioral underscore Therapy. For more information regarding therapeutic service in the IE or the state of California, you can contact Morning View Family Therapy at 909-757-5770. Hello, Cynthia. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Good, good. So good. thank you thank you so much for taking time uh, to come on the show. I really appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Just for the audience to to get a better understanding of who you are and, you know, what you do for a living, you know, introduce yourself, you know, who, you know, who are you? You know, what do you do? Um, what have you done in the past? And what got you into being a school psychologist? All right. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm happy to take the time because I know that these topics are important. Um, I'm Dr. Cynthia Britt. Um, I'm actually pretty proud of saying that because just um, I just graduated a year ago. Congratulations. Um, thank you. Thank you. I'm a proud Latina, first generation. Um, my parents are from El Salvador. They came here. They worked really hard. And finally, after 17 years and five degrees later, I can definitely say um, that I'm just amazed at where I'm at today. Um, so basically, my my first educational experience started with a BA in um, biological psychology. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, being first generation, honestly, I didn't even know what college was. The college was just one hurdle that I just said, I didn't even know what to do. So I went into the field of behavioral neuroscience first, and I did a lot of research on drugs, how it affected the brain, behavior, how it affected certain brain areas or linked to certain brain areas. Um, and then I decided, you know what, I rather work with kids one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so that's when I decided to merge um, neuroscience with school psychology. And I went into a program, I loved it. Um, I loved collecting data, I loved working with students. Um, and then I quickly started realizing you know, how important it was to understand behavior and how it was linked to learning. And so that's what really got me into the field of school psychology. Um, and then once I started just immersing myself and gaining the experience, um, I gained the experience in the preschool level and working with students um, ages three and up, then school age, elementary level, I've done middle school level, high school level, and then our students in residential living. So that's a quick synopsis of you know, where kind of like more so my experience and um, why I went in more so into the field of school psychology. I just felt that understanding how the brain is linked to behavior and learning um, would help me help students more in that educational setting of how to enhance their learning um, and definitely support them the best way in their academic environment. That's that's actually very interesting to to know that you know you you know you got your degree in biological psychology you know you did a little bit of behavioral neuroscience and understanding you know children um, and then the whole you know to tie it in with school psychology um, that's something that's extremely important right um, you see a lot of kids that struggle in school especially after COVID yeah. and 
you having the under, you you having the understanding of how you know the brain affects behavioral behavioral learning, you know, and you know how to enhance you know the ch- the child's learning, um, is very very uh is very very cool, and uh that's something that I'm now interested in. So we'll see what I do with that. Absolutely. <laughs> right. So when it comes to um when it comes to peer relations in 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 a school environment. How important are these relations? Uh, how important are these relations for you know a, a child or a teen? You know, and what areas can a peer influence a student's uh, mental health? So I can see that, and I have observed that pretty much early on. Um, you know, working with students or just a child turning three years old. Um, you know, at that point, they're they're more invested on their environment and that nurturing piece of it. Once they enter elementary, you know, they're still more captive about learning how to be a student. Um, And then I start seeing more so around, I would say, second grade, third grade. Um, This is where peer relations really start mattering. Um, It's just, you know, they start capturing what it means when comments come around and how those relationships develop and how, you know, we get the sense of this is my best friend, but yet they're not my best friend tomorrow. So relationships regardless tend to be very important early on and how we just build the understanding and grit, like how to handle relationships is what I've found most important. Um, And as kids get older, I have two little girls of my own. Um, I have noticed how much these peer relationships and the development of them and sustaining relationships between their friends, regardless if it's a boy or a girl, um, you know, interpret it, their perception of it is what matters. Um, You know, because we all have our own perception of how we interpret things. And so a lot of our kids, regardless of the age, sometimes we forget that they're kids. And so we always have to make sure that we understand what they perceive and how they respond with each other. Um, that leads to mental health because how I perceive somebody else's comments might be the, it's not going to be the same way you perceive them and deal with them. And so when it relates to mental health, I think that's the biggest piece that, you know, we tend to forget, or we might even add to, you know, so-and-so said this to me, and then we just kind of disregard or, or it's okay, I'll be fine. Or, you know, just, I've heard, you know, students come to me and say, you know, they just told me to just deal with it. And we forget that we don't really give the tools of how to deal with it. And so this is where students or children in general just start feeling or dealing with it on their own. They build their own coping skills. So then it can relate to how they responded back and right. so <laughs> right now this is all really good information so you know as a parent how do you continue to check in with your child right so you're stating you know peer relationships um you know just the relationship development the import the importance of like handling these relationships right at school especially at school because they're in that environment more than they are at home sometimes um how can a parent check in with their with their child to see how the how they're handling certain relationships within, you know, a school setting? Well, from personal experience and now being a vice principal at a high school setting where that is like the biggest thing, right? How do I deal with my peers? Um, And having a daughter of my own in her teens, it's being present. 
It's being present, it's being approachable as a parent, as um, and even being a teacher or a counselor. It's being present and being that open-minded of allowing that sometimes students or chi a child will not come to us seeking for, come and fix it for me. You know, sometimes our children just want us to listen. And that goes hand in hand in being also a school psychologist. Like sometimes people just need to be heard um, people just need to feel like somebody has listened to them and allowed them to just kind of what we talk about word vomit. You know, this is what I have. This is how I feel. And then they talk it out. And sometimes with just us being listeners, you know, our, my own child or any child that I've worked with or student has even answered their own questions within that or kind of resolved through talk. And so I think a lot of the times, even as an adult, we don't feel heard. And so I think sometimes a lot of our kids just don't get that platform to have a voice. And so, you know, it's, it's more so it's okay, it'll be fine, just deal with it, it'll resolve itself. But once again, and allowing them to just even say it out loud allows them to just have the opportunity to even talk it out and find a solution. Right. And, and, for, and, and for the listeners out there, you know, how do you provide this for your child? Right. So, you know, being present, being approachable, being open minded, a lot of that has to do with uh, active listening. Right. So, you know, giving your child your full attention, you know, putting your phone down, turning off the TV, you know, you know, making eye contact with your child, you know, really engage, engaging into what they're saying. Right. Kind of giving, you know, repeating back, you know, what you're understanding. Uh, that's how you become approachable. And that's how you have an open mind. Um, to go on top of that, you know, from personal things, you know, listeners, um, you know, the foundation of a relationship starts with trust and commitment. Okay. It's, you know, Gottman's theory, right? And that's with any mm -hmm. relationship. So if you and your child don't have that trust, and if you aren't, you and your child aren't committed to, you know, build and continue building a healthy relationship or communication, you're not going to be approachable or open-minded. So your child is less likely to come to you uh, for advice or, you know, for you to listen. And that just, you know, goes into family systems, which is a different whole approach, right? Um, 100%. So, <laughs> right. So um, how do you keep a, a student engaged and motivated throughout the school year, right? You know, as a teacher, as a parent, and even as a psychologist, you know, we're, we're currently done with first semester, right? These kids are going to, you know, to Christmas break, you know, two to three weeks, whatever it may be. How do we continue, you know, how, how do we, you know, keep them engaged and motivated, um, well, that's where individual differences come in. Um, same thing as, you know, just not assuming that certain things are going to be something that they prefer to do and keep them engaged. I personally, this is where allowing our children to have that voice allows them to say, hey, this is what will keep me engaged. Um, you know, everybody is a different learner. You know, I, I think all of us are born with that innate feeling of, I want to learn, show me how to learn, show me what is exciting, but you know, what excites me is not the same for you. So it's really understanding, you know, Hey, what would keep you engaged? What would you like to do with everything being so accessible and very visually, um, motivating and rewarding is like immediate reward. You know, that's why so often we hear kids, oh, I'm bored and I'm this. But, you know, in that engagement, what you talk about in the trust and approachability, you know, now in break, you know, it's still keeping not so much our kids overly busy and doing so many activities, but it's also making it welcoming in the sense of what would they like to do? Mm. What is something that, 
you know, will keep them like, so a parent comes and say, let's make cookies tonight. Is that something that they would like to do? You know, is that something they would prefer to do? Um, a lot of students might get overwhelmed or really stimulated. And so it's really understanding your child. You know, these are the moments where we're on break um, and behaviors might pop up because it's a change in their environment, a change in their routine. And so it's more so preparing and saying, hey, like, let's work together because that's what we are. Like, that's what we grow up to be. We want to feel involved. We want to feel like we mean something to the actual moment. And so having those conversations and saying, hey, um, I love to do that with my daughter. What would you like to do? What would be fun for you? Um, I have a little girl. I have a little two-year-old. And my daughter says, I would like to go on a date. Like, can we go here? And I'm like, absolutely. Your choice. Do, would you like a boba or would you like a Starbucks? You know, and not everybody is going to have that accessibility. So it's more so understanding, you know, what are those special things that mean something to your child? Um, engagement isn't only video games or sports, you know, but it kind of depends on the dynamic of the family. What is accessible and what do you kind of prefer to do together to keep that engagement going as well? Uh, and, and and yes, I, I totally agree with the, you know, it involves the dynamic of the family. Parents, for you parents that are listening, right, uh, you know, you guys have your, your struggles, you guys have your certain situations, uh, you guys have, you know, you know your, your own personal issues that are going on. But at the same time, it's always important to make sure that we spend some time to check in with our, you know, with our child to make sure that we spend some time with them and whatever it may be, right? You know, you don't have to do the, you know, you don't have to with them the entire day even though that's very beneficial but you know being engaged and asking how they're doing one to two hours a day like that's something and that's something that's going to keep the you know your child interested in communicating with you um and now that we're on this topic right cynthia so you mm -hmm. know what is the role of emotion in education you know how can emotions positively or negatively impact a student in the education system emotion emotions are a huge factor um, I just think of, I always try to relate it when I try to explain to my teachers or paraprofessionals, anybody that's an adult that is working with students. We all experience emotions. It's, it's what we do with it that kind of affects us even more. And so since alert, early on age, I've always taught um, children or students, hey, it's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel sad happy. It's just what, what, you, what you choose to do with that emotion that might get you in trouble or, um, you know, lead to other choices that aren't of your benefit. Um, but a big thing with emotions is just where learning is never going to happen if we don't fulfill those basic needs first. Um, emotions can come from being hungry. Emotions can come from not sleeping right. Emotions can come from having a very stressful morning. We've all been there. We've all had that. Um, you know, I'm, I will definitely be honest and say we've had our mornings when we have a little argument or we're rushing and all that we carry it into the learning environment to school. And so sometimes we have kids that come in just feeling a certain way. And it's once again, checking in, how are your students? How is your child feeling? How are we transitioning them from one environment to another environment that will allow them to feel like they're safe? And so one of those big things about emotions and that I remind everybody is 
learning will not happen. Children will not want to learn about math or reading or writing if they don't feel good, if they don't, if they're not in the right mental state. So, you know, a lot of the kids, it's more so checking in and talking and saying, hey, are you okay today? What do you feel? How do you feel? And sometimes it's even checking in. Did you have breakfast? You know, um, those are all basic needs that sometimes we forget that not all of our children have the accessibility to it and also have simply done it. So all that learning is really not going to happen or there might be a behavior that pops up from it because if we don't meet those needs first, then we will never get to the academics. Now, teachers, teachers are just as important in, in, in regards to emotion and the, and, and the learning process for every child, right? And yeah. sometimes, you know, teachers are, teachers are human, right? They have their own personal lives and their own struggles. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how can, how can teachers, you know, negatively affect a, a, a student? How can they positively affect a student? Um, well, it's also, you know, having the ability to know and differentiate is this is work coming in with that mentality and readiness of, um, you know, we expect our students to come ready to to learn, but we also have to come in with the mentality of being ready to teach, being ready to be that supportive um, educational staff that our students need. Um, I think since COVID, a lot of it has changed where uh, we wear multiple hats, you know, it's, we don't, our teachers are not just teachers anymore our uh, principals and vice principals and staff and counselors, you know, we spend a lot of time um, re-nurturing and, and making sure that our students feel safe again. Um, and it is, it, it is a make it or break it. And sometimes um, a lot of our teachers really don't know our staff, school staff know what's really going on in a student's life. So this is where I remind my staff continuously of Remember that our kids, our students, our children are not going to have the same upbringing or environmental um, support or life that we think they should have. And so it's being sensitive and mindful of our students and what they're going through um, and making sure that we're um, sensitive to that and understanding. And we're at a place where we can make them feel like they are okay and safe. Um because we do, we can, we can either be supportive and allow them to feel welcome, or we can be triggering. And the last thing that we want to be as school personnel is triggering. Right. And it's very, uh, it's very beneficial. And it's a blessing, uh, you know, to, you know, for your staff to have you, you know, as a resource to continue to remind them, you know, with your mental health background and your school, uh, your school psychologist background as a vice principal, it, 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 I'm pretty sure to them it's very beneficial to have you around. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're about to be three years removed from COVID, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, COVID was something that was extremely, uh, I believe, damaging to students and, and the learning, right? You know, being shut, shut down, having to do, you know, online, you know, schooling, you know, in what ways has COVID impacted the classroom? You know, what are you currently noticing as a school psychologist and as a principal that students are struggling with day-to-day basis? Um, social skills. Um, the social skills are a huge factor. It's like our students um, are showing how they forgot to interact. Um, it's 
you know, we have a lot of students that are just, it feels like they have shut down. Um, they don't really want to have that one-to-one -one interaction or, or face-to-face -face interaction. It's like they're still hiding behind their technology. Um, and so it's been really hard to navigate through resolution of pure conflicts. Um, I feel and see and observe a lot of our students struggling to just have that respect and trust for each other. Um, it seems like a lot of our students, you know, there's some that have came in and hit the ground running in their sports and their academics. Um, and then we've had a good pocket of students that just have struggled immensely of understanding what it feels like to be back in a educational setting in person and what the expectations are and following those rules and expectations. So it has affected a lot of the social piece of it, the peer interaction, the understanding of the expectations of being in person and that respect towards just each other and education, like educational staff. Um, so it has definitely been, been an impact and we are slowly starting to get to see where um, academically it has also impacted um, their learning. And we see that there is a lot of gaps. There's gaps that we need to remediate and make sure that we um, not only support them academically, but also in their mental health. Right. And, and to go on top of that, you know, I was an instructional aide before I got, you know, my associate number or while I was in the process of, you know, my master's program. And, um, you know, when I was an instructional aide, um, I, I saw that after COVID, um, just students' anger and, you know, mm -hmm. the increase of drug and alcohol consumption and, you know, anxiety, stress, and just anger management were things yeah. that I noticed. I don't know if that's something that you've noticed as well as a principal. Uh, at and huge issues with um, vaping. Right. Um, it's, it's a big and it's just... It's unfortunate because it's, it's well, and I don't even know if this is due to COVID, but it's just the accessibility of it is ridiculous. Where they get and how they're getting it um, is just, it's, it's really scary in the fact of how, um, how many of it we're dealing with it and how it's just so present, you know, and it's, it's so easy to just hide and um, keep from, us and and really how it affects their behavior and their mood they have like no idea what the lack of sleep that they have um and then now you know d vaping or the thc vapes um we've tried to take take the precautions um necessary to prevent it or have the talks and have the interventions all the supports that we can possibly give them or drug and alcohol classes and it's still an attitude of oh well like, I want to do it and, and I'm going to do it. Right. Uh, so it's, you know, it, it's a lot of that. It's a lot of, and, um, you know, not to throw parents or any of us because we're all part of it, but the support when just calling a parent or trying to find accessibility and, hey, like, let's be a team about this so we can help your child is just different, you know? Very, yeah, that's something that I noticed as well. Yeah. And, and like you said, like, it's not all parents, right? It's, uh, right. You know, it, it's a it's a it's a handful, right? But mm -hmm. the accessibility and, and the wanting to, you know, get the get the resources for your child, sometimes it's very hard to come by. Yeah. yeah. Right. Now we we've talked about emotion. Uh, you know, we talked about emotions in the school setting. We've talked about you know 
communication and, and, and being present and being approachable. We talked about, you know, COVID and, and the increase of drug and alcohol use, the increase of, you know, certain gaps that were, you know, that have been forgotten. You know, what are some coping skills, some cognitive skills or other resources that, you know, you could give parents right now that would be very helpful for, you know, for them to engage with their with their with their child? Um, some of the coping skills would be, um, I think a lot of the times our kids, it's very easy for them to come home from school and just go to straight to their room. And then we never see each other again, you know, until the next day in the morning, um, you know, reinstate having that time together. You know, I think with COVID, a lot of us just hid behind, you know, solitude. Um, everybody did their own thing. Everybody was just independent of, um, trying to figure out how to deal with being alone and being away. Um, so right now it's more so reinstilling the basic skills of communication, staying in communication and being able to express in a way that is, um, you know, without arguing or screaming. And those are all very they're difficult things to do. You know, we, we all think we know how to communicate and express, but those are the basic things that would help us with having the right coping skills. Um, other things are also finding healthy ways of, you know, all this, all these drugs and vaping and alcohol and marijuana, you know, these are all self-medicating coping skills that they think, oh, well, I'm just helping myself because it helps me learn or it helps me stay calm. You know, those are unhealthy coping skills. So it's giving kids or students the tools of what are other things that you would like to do. I see so many students right now that would love to play a sport, but they don't even know how to get there, you know, and that falls into that place of, I'm not going to, I don't want my kid to go into their room and just stay there for hours. What are they doing in there? You know, who are they talking to? Who are their friends? Um, it's it's being there with your kid and understanding who they are so they don't feel alone and they seek it. Um, all these things are just, we tend to want to learn how to cope. And so I'd rather be the person and the adult and the parent to teach my child the right coping skills versus them going and searching with other kids, trying to find the wrong coping skills with them. Oh yeah, one hundred. Well, I one hundred percent agree with that. And parents, just remember, just continue to be curious, yeah. right? Continue to have that curiosity of, you know, who who are your child's friends? You know, what are they doing? You know, being okay with setting boundaries and you know not being, not, I don't want to say scared, but not being hesitant to you know to implement rules and 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 handling negative emotions that your child has with these rules, right? And uh, we could go into parenting. Uh, uh, you know, a whole different time, but there are a lot of different things that are out there, resources such as therapy or, you know, or, or uh, education that could help you out with, you know, handling certain issues that you have with your child. So, you know, it, all it takes is just you going in and, you know, just searching it or f- trying to find it. Well, and schools are going to be your best resource. Right. Um, that I was, you know, it, we have classes within our own community that we recommend or what I really wanted to say is, you know, not all educators are going to be your enemy. We're here because it takes a village and a a team to find the best educational balance for our kids. 
And so we are a resource. And if that was another thing that I just wanted to mention, be in communication, know what your, um, your kids' grades are, why, what can you do to support them? Those are all huge things that, you know, a lot of my kids come saying, they, I, I just feel like my mom and dad don't care. And it's like, well, why not? So when our kids feel that we are involved and we want to know and we care, even though they're saying they're do they don't care, you know, structure is still love in a form of showing that we care and we care about the balance that they have between school and home. Great way to put it, Cynthia. That's it. That, that's a great way of putting that. Um, now, Cynthia, do you have any ending statements, anything, you know, that we didn't discuss that you'd like to discuss or any tips, any other tips that you'd like to say? Um, I would say, you know, cause I, right now is my role. Um, I definitely appreciate having my background with mental health and, um, being a school psychologist. And I really want to put it out there from my lens of a school psychologist for the parents that have students on an IEP that we didn't really touch on. Know what supports are out there for your kids. Please be your biggest advocate for your child. Um, don't hesitate to ask questions. Don't hesitate to know what the educational system has to offer because, you know, we tend to trust educators to make sure that they're doing everything that they can possibly do. But if you're not involved and you don't know, um, I'd rather be involved and be present than find out later that there could have been better resources and everything that needed to be done for my students started on early on with early intervention. Um, so, you know, I just feel like a lot of my kids um, identified under special education are the ones that are really struggling the most right now um, because there's just so much going on with coming back from COVID and um, the lack of just academic instruction in person, plus, you know, the behavioral pieces of it. You know, those are all things that we just want to make sure, well, I just want to make sure and just let parents know that, you know, they are their child's biggest advocate when it comes to that. And please to, to not be afraid to be that and to find the right resources and other people or school psychologists answering the questions for you or clarifying so then your child has that best educational um, instruction at school. Thank you so much, Cynthia, for that. And, and, and you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and, you know, have another episode in regards to, you know, the special education system and school environment, you know, and, and talk about certain disorders that um, or diagnoses that these kids, you know, have and what they struggle with. Um, and I appreciate you, you know, stating this. This is very good information for parents out there. Um, Cynthia, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate you. And I really appreciate all the information that you provided today. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you, too. I'm glad you um, you had me here. And if you ever needed anything else in reference to other areas and expanding on it, I'll be happy to be part of that as well. Thank you. Merry Christmas right. and uh, Happy New Year. You, too. Have a good one.